Well, a couple of years ago, we had uh, a staff member on our team. Her name is, uh, was Bianca. It is Bianca. She still attends and, and volunteers at our church. But at the time, she was going through some life changes in her family. That meant she had to step down from being full-time on staff with us, which we, uh, were, you know, we were sad about. She's a great member of our team. So we wanted to honor her and celebrate her on her way out on her last day by throwing her just a small party with our staff. I only tell you this next part because it's a, it's a key part of the story. Otherwise, it wouldn't matter. But Bianca is of Mexican descent. And Stephanie, who is uh, currently on our staff, in her own words said, I wanted to give her a true Mexican send-off. And the way she was doing that was by putting a message, a farewell message, on the cake in Spanish. So we all show up out in the lobby, the cafe out here, all of our staff. Uh, a fresh pot of coffee was made because everyone knows uh, that all great celebrations start with fresh coffee. Can I get a witness up in here? Uh, none of us, none of us had seen the cake yet. And Stephanie brings out the cake. We want Bianca to see it first. So Bianca looks at the cake, looks at Stephanie, looks at the cake, looks at Stephanie. And Bianca asks Stephanie, what does it say? To which Stephanie says, read it. Bianca's like, I did read it. What does it say? And Stephanie said, I wanted to give you a true Mexican send-off, so I had a farewell message written in Spanish. It says goodbye in Spanish, to which Bianca said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so they both look confused. I'm now super curious. So I walk over to the cake. I look down and start dying laughing when I see this. Sayonara, Senorita. Yeah, we started doing what you're doing, as I explained to Stephanie, that her true Mexican send-off started with a Japanese word. <laughs> you see, because Stephanie misunderstood what a word meant, she misused what it was for, and Bianca completely missed out on what was intended. That's, that's a funny story that I've been waiting years to tell, and Stephanie had no idea I was telling it today. I wanted to make sure she came to church. So, But it's not so funny when it comes to what I believe to be one of the biggest misunderstandings in God's church today. One of the biggest hurdles I think we all face in our faith, and it's one word, money. Nobody's laughing now. <laughs> If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here. And now that you know what we're talking about, you may not be so glad you came today. But I'm thrilled that everyone uh, is here today, including anyone who's joining us on video or in one of our video services. We're in a sermon series called My Declaration, a challenge for men to rise up. We're walking through some of the main themes from a book that I was able to write and release a few weeks ago. They are still available out in the lobby at the book table. If you've not got one yet, would love for you to to get one there, or you can go to my website or share my website to somebody else, jeffmanis.com slash store. You can buy uh, all the books that I have on there as well. One of the major themes in the book, a whole chapter I dedicate to it, and really one that I think many people, especially men, struggle with, is in the area of taking responsibility for our finances, specifically honoring God financially. 
Now, I, I know that every time a pastor preaches on money or talks about giving, there are some people who kind of get maybe uh, defensive or, or worried or, or skeptical, and I, I get it. I, I get it. You might even be here today, and one of the reasons why you don't believe in God, especially the God the Christian church promotes, is because of the way the church, the big C, God's church, has talked about money uh, or, or even handled, mishandled money in their church. Maybe the only time you ever heard church talk about money is when they were begging for it because they were out of money. I'm, I'm just saying, I get it. I'm frustrated as well with how we have done that. We, the church, God's church, have not always done a good job communicating about money or teaching what it means to honor God financially. That's led to some misunderstandings about money in the church. So just up front, I want to be clear. You don't have to give a dime to God ever at this church, and we will love and serve you just the same, okay? We will love and serve you whether you ever give here. Now, as long as you understand, I'm gonna teach on what I believe the Bible says is true about money and giving, but you're not required to give for us to love and serve you here. Second of all, we are doing great as a church financially. We, we budget conservatively, we live generously, we save consistently, having emergency funds in place in, th in case things, you know, God forbid, were to turn down. We have money in place to help us with emergencies and we take very seriously the responsibility we have to honor God with all the resources he entrusts us with through your generosity. In fact, here's a quick snapshot of where we are through September 30th of this year. It's on the screens here. I can't spend a bunch of time here, but our, our weekly budget needs, so we need to meet the budget we've set, $33,079 a week. We are averaging and offering $34,430 a week, so slightly ahead of pace. You might wonder what happens when there's positive cash flow. Well, we get to do things like pay down debt. So we've paid an extra $74,000 on principal-only payments on top of our monthly payments for the remodel loan on, on this facility. We give 10% of every offering into outreach that's only used to serve our community and God's kingdom around the world. So, so far this year, $164,248 has been given towards outreach. On top of that, from positive cash flow, we paid for in cash the Play City free indoor playground over here, $109,028 completely paid for in cash. And then the iHeart Wyoming initiative, which is our initiative to come alongside churches. We, we have given away $83,222 to other churches across denominations all throughout our state so they can serve their communities in tangible ways. Our goal of iHeart Wyoming is to elevate, expand, and reinforce the credibility of God's church all around our State. So speaking of your segue, speaking of iHeart Wyoming, there are some save the date cards on your seats. Make sure and take that with you. Mark the date on your calendar, Sunday, December 9th. It's our annual year-end offering, above and beyond our regular giving, that all goes towards iHeart Wyoming. We give it all away to serve other churches around our state. And I just want you to pray. Start praying now. It's a little over a month away. God, what do you want to give through me to the iHeart Wyoming initiative? And then whatever God tells you to do, just do it, okay? And, and I say this every year with our year-end offering. No one person can do everything, but we can all do what? Something. And if we all do something, 
will end up accomplishing everything. So just do your part with the I Heart Wyoming offering. I, I share all those things just to say, I'm preaching on money. Yes, I'm talking about giving in this message, but not because we need it or because you have to. I just believe for many of us, especially as men, we have a wrong understanding about money. And like our opening story, if you misunderstand what something means, it's very easy to misuse what it's for or miss out on what is intended. And that's never more true than it is with money. When it comes to money and giving in the church, I think too often we view it as a burden. Oh, it's just this burden to bear. But listen, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to live in that giving mentality. So here's the big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. Take a picture of it if you want to. Honoring God financially is not a burden for us to bear. It's a blessing for us to live. I'm going to need some help from the believers in the room today who are with me in this, okay? Honoring God financially is not a burden for us to bear. It's a blessing for us to live. Amen, Christians in the room? So if that's true, and it is, by the way, it's true, it's a blessing, not a burden, then I want to know how to live in that blessing. So the big question today is that. How do I live in the blessing? How do I live in the blessing? The main scripture is in Genesis. You might be surprised to know the answer to the financial blessing we're talking about is in Genesis, but you can follow along on the screens. All the verses are there. If you're using your own Bible, it's super easy to find. It's the very first book in the, in the Bible, the Old Testament, a few chapters in, and you're there. If you don't own a Bible, one of the things we do with the resources God gives us is purchase Bibles and give them away by the hundreds throughout the year. We love doing that. So ask for a Bible at guest services. We'll get you your own copy. The first one and a half chapters of the Bible are all about God creating this amazing, incredible universe in which we live. That by the word of his mouth, he spoke the stars and the planets and the oceans and the animals. Yes, for some reason, even the cats, I don't get it, right? Like, I know God can't make mistakes, but come on, dude, you got to explain that one. I'm convinced before sin entered the world, cats were more like puppies. But I'm just saying, after sin, they became evil. That's all I'm saying. Then, then he, made, he made the Garden of Eden, which had to be more spectacular than anything we've ever laid eyes on. Then he created mankind, Adam and Eve, male and and female, and that's where we're picking up. Genesis 2.15 says this. The Lord God placed the man, or mankind, in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. That one verse, by the way, is the foundation for everything we need to know about life, including our money. And you might be, are you for real? Have you lost your mind? So here, here's what I mean. God made the Garden of Eden. Didn't need anybody's help. He didn't use Adam, didn't use Eve to help. He just made it. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden to tend and watch over it. Meaning, the garden didn't belong to them, but they were blessed by it, and they were tasked with managing it. And the same thing is true for every area of our life, including our money. Including our money. So honoring God financially is not a burden for us to bear. I hope you get that. It's a blessing for us to live. How do I live in the blessing? The first thing comes from that one verse. I have to understand it all belongs to God. It all. Everyone say all. all. It all 
belongs to God. All of it. King David, king over the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12, says this to God in a prayer. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. I might be the earthly king, but you're the king of kings. So I don't even own the kingdom. You, it's yours, God. We adore you as the one who is over all things, wealth or money, and honor come from you alone. You rule over everything. That is one of dozens of places in the Bible where we are taught God owns it all. He owns it all. And that principle changes everything. Everything. Because until I understand that money isn't mine I will never live in the blessing of being given any of it from God in the first place. Everything I have came from God. Everything. So everything I have is already a blessing. But if I don't acknowledge it belongs to God, it will not be a blessing. When I view money as mine, I will only try to figure out how to get more of it or get more with it. If I think money's mine. But when I understand that it all belongs to God, my first priority is to show honor to him by the way I use it. God is the owner. Everything I have comes from him, belongs to him, and should be managed in a way that pleases him. So that kind of leads into the second thing we've got to talk about here. Honoring God financially is not a burden for us to bear. It's a blessing for us to live. How do we live in that blessing? It all belongs to God. Fast forward into chapter 4. Adam and Eve ate the fruit they were told not to eat. Sin entered the world. They were banished from the garden. They conceived and gave birth to two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain became a farmer. Abel became a shepherd. And Genesis 4, 3 through 7 says this. When it was time for the harvest, and just to help us mentally here, there's a few people in our church who are farmers, who are agricultural by, by trade, so they have a harvest, but most of us don't harvest anything, right? So insert the word payday for harvest, and this begins to make sense, because that's what harvest was for a farmer, was payday. When it was time for the payday, Cain presented what? Some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the what? The best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted or blessed Abel in his gift, but did not accept or bless Cain in his gift. This made Cain very angry. He looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted. The Hebrew word in which this was originally written, I looked it up because I can't barely speak English, but I, so I had to look up Hebrew, okay? The word for accepted means elevated, lifted up, or raised. In other words, blessed. Cain, you'll be blessed if you do what's right. Now, don't miss this, gang. God said to Cain, you'll be blessed if you do what, what, what is right. And in this situation, keeping it in context, what, had Cain, what did Cain do that wasn't right? Cain gave some of his crops to the Lord. Abel gave the best. 
So the second thing to live in the blessing we've got to understand is this. I've got to understand the best goes back to God. It all belongs to God, and the best goes back to God. It is clear in this passage, and really clear all through Scripture, that from God's children, he expects the first, and he expects the best. Just to clarify, when it comes to money, the first is the best. They are the same thing, okay? In an agricultural context, that was not always the case. So like for Cain and Abel, if the firstborn lamb was lame, you would not give that to God because that wasn't the best. If the first of the crops were diseased, you would not give that to God because it is not the best. But when it comes to our money, the first is the best, and the best goes back to God. And the way that we do this, practically speaking, is by giving God the tithe. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> tithe has five letters in it, but many people treat it like a four-letter word in the church. It's true. Listen, the word tithe is not a bad word. It's a phenomenal word and very powerful to our financial lives, by the way. Very, very powerful. The word tithe literally means tenth or 10%. So we think we got that for the screens there. It means tenth or 10%. So if you say, today I, I gave my tithe, you only tithed if you gave 10% of your income, of your paycheck, back to God. If you didn't give 10%, you're not tithing, because tithe means 10th or 10%. But it's not just any 10%, it's the first 10%. The Bible calls this first fruits. It's, it's the first of the crop, the first of the, the animals, or it's the first of our money that we receive from our labor. The reason we do this is because it all belongs to God, and he's the one that asked for it. Like, no man made this up. We're not that stupid to make up an idea to give away more of our money. No, God said the first 10% belongs to me. It's a way that we financially honor and worship God and a symbol of our sign and trust that God is our sole provider, that God, everything I have comes from you, and you're asking for 10% back, so here, here you go. There's many places in Scripture we could go to look at where it talks about this. I'll share two of the clearest ones with you. Malachi 3, 8 through 10a says this. God speaking to his people. Should people cheat God? Other versions use the word rob or steal. Should people steal from God? Yet you're stealing from me. You ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes, first 10%, and offerings, anything beyond that, due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation's been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That was the temple. In our modern-day language, that would be the church. So there will be enough food in my temple. Then Jesus, our Lord, in Matthew 23, 23, says this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? 
For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Then he said this, you should tithe. I don't know of a clearer place for me other than the words of Jesus to believe it's something I should do. <laughs> when Jesus said, you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things, and he's referring back to justice, mercy, and faith, we should do all of them, including the tithe. I don't care how hard you try, and believe me, many Christians try, you cannot get around it in Scripture. From cover to cover, it is there. It is in Genesis Four before the law was ever given in the Old Testament. It's throughout the law in the rest of the New Testament. It's in the New Testament from the mouth of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament lives it out. The first and the best goes back to God. That means if you are a Christian, a child of God, on the day of your harvest, every time you get paid, the first 10% automatically should just go back to God. My wife and I do this. We set it up on the PushPay mobile app. It just does it automatically on the 1st and 15th. The first 10% of everything that God gives us through my income as being the pastor of this church, we give it directly back to God through our local church. It's a way to say, God, all that you gave me belongs to you. You bless me with every penny. You could have asked for 50% back. You could have asked for 100 back. But you asked God for 10 so here, gladly, God, I give you the first 10% back. It's a way that I'm worshiping and honoring you, a symbol of my trust and faith that you'll provide everything that I need. And listen, I know, I know how incredibly difficult this is to take this step in your life. I know. 10% of your income is a lot of your income no matter how much money you make. It is hard to see 10%. Go. So let me challenge us with a couple of things. First of all, would you just start somewhere? Just start somewhere. Don't let the tithe keep you from giving anything. Okay? Like, I, I understand that, that just like we can mature in other areas of our faith, so we can mature in our giving. Okay? I don't expect somebody who's never read the Bible to pick up the Bible today and read it and understand it like someone's been doing it for 40 years. So I don't expect that always in giving either. So start somewhere, but don't stay there. Work your way towards the tithe. You should have a plan to get there, okay? Second of all, don't fall for the lie, and I'm using that word on purpose. Don't fall for the lie that if I had more money, I would give. It's a lie. It's a lie. If that's your understanding, you misunderstand money. J.D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest, most successful people America's ever seen, said this, I would never have been able to tithe the first million dollars. It's a direct quote. He should have said on the first million. I never would have been able to tithe on the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. You see, giving is not an amount in my account. It's the attitude of my heart. It's, it, giving doesn't come from my, my financial circumstances. It comes from my faith circumstances. I either trust God, I either believe God, or I don't. There's no in-between. 
that if I'm not giving the best back to God, I don't believe him. And I don't fully trust him. Listen, God's not after your money. I hope you understand that. If he wanted it, he'd flat take it. Right? He's big enough to do that. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. And until the best of your finances are going back to God, he does not fully have your heart. And if that's true, which it is, <laughs> I was recently given some information that broke my heart about our church. I didn't ask for this information. It was shared with me from our finance team. And it hurt. It hurt. From September 2017 through September 2018, the last calendar year, Element Church had 844 total giving units or households. So total households that gave. There could have been five people in one home, one address that gave different amounts of money, but they all count as one giving unit or household. So we had 844 households that gave something in the last calendar year. Based on the median household income in Cheyenne, Wyoming, we had 94 households that would have tithed on that amount of income. 94 households would have given an amount that equaled a tithe on the median income. And those 94 homes gave $1.1 million, or 57% of all the giving in the calendar year. 94 families gave 57% of everything that came into our church. On the flip side, there were 488 households of that 844 that gave under $1,000 for the year for a total of $101,658. So 57% of the households gave less than 5% of the resources. That's scary to me. And as your pastor, it concerns me. And listen, I know there are people who make way less than the median income in Cheyenne, and they tithed on their income, so they didn't make that 94 mark. And there's people in that 94 group that make way more, and they didn't tithe either. They just gave enough to, I, I don't know what the names were. I just know what the numbers were. So you get what I'm saying, right? I'm not sharing this in anger or condemnation. First of all, I share it out of celebration. Look around at what we are already able to do on the backs of very few people. It's incredible what we are able to do in this church with so few people overall giving the best of their income back to God. So I celebrate the fact that we are, do, we are like knocking out of the park with very little comparatively. Second of all, I share it to challenge us. Imagine what could be done if we just doubled the number of people giving their best back to God. Just doubled it. Like the, the amount of impact we would make would be exponential in our community and around the world. And third, I share it out of concern. Because based on those numbers, there appear to be lots and lots of people, Christian people in our church, who are not fully honoring God with their finances. And listen, I want your heart to be fully God's. That's my ultimate desire. But your heart isn't fully God's until your finances are fully surrendered to him. So you, you might need help 
I get it. I'm not talking about more money. I'm talking about you might need financial peace university group or I was broke, now I'm not. We offer those throughout the year in our groups. You might need a, a trusted Christian friend who's not... And listen, this is more than just giving 10%, by the way. Like, you can't just give 10% and then spend the other 90 willy-nilly and think it'll work out. Right? So you need to find a trusted Christian friend who is not following the American theology of just racking up massive amounts of debt to, uh, to make yourself look better to people you don't even like. Find somebody who's living a debt-free life, honoring God financially, and get their help in helping you get your finances in order. Why? Because honoring God financially is not a burden for us to bear. It's a blessing for us to live. How do we live in that blessing? Got to understand it all belongs to God. The best goes back to God. And then verses 6 and 7, again, from our main scripture, God says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted. You'll be blessed if you do what's right. Third thing I've got to understand is this. The blessing comes from God. It's not a blessing I can create or manufacture. It's a blessing that God chooses to give. Going back to Malachi 3.10, we already read it before, but here's the whole verse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. The only place in the entire Bible where God says, test me, is in the area of our finances. Why? Because he knows how much we struggle with letting go. And he says, if you'll give me that part of your life, I will open up the windows of heaven upon you. And it may not be a financial blessing, by the way. It's not give God a hundred, he gives you a thousand. No, it's give God the best and he'll take care of you. That's blessing enough. Recently, I got a story shared with me on social media of a, of a young man who began tithing under our teaching here at Element. I believe he's in the Air Force and got sent on to a new community, but he sent me a message about how God has helped him after he started tithing. He said this, God's work in my finances has been incredible to watch. His blessing may not have come in the ways or timing I would have chosen or wanted, but rather in ways that suggest provision truly originates from him. I wanted to send this to you as an encouragement that although tithing is likely not fun to talk about as a pastor and that you might even receive pushback of sorts when you do, it is incredibly important. It has made me a better follower of Christ, and for that I'm truly grateful. All the best. Jeremy. Listen, when you give God the best and honor him with your finances, he doesn't just improve your finances, he improves your faith. He improves your faith. Now, I don't know how it works. I don't. I can only tell you that it does. That when I give God the best, when I give God the first 10% of my, of my income, I've never missed a tithe. I can't remember the last time I didn't tithe on what I received. In, in, when, it was, when I was a kid and probably you know, told my mom I did tithe but lied to her and didn't and bought bubble gum instead. That's probably the last time I didn't tithe. I, I don't know how it works. All I know is that God does more with 90% left over than I could do with 100 on my own. I don't get it, but it works. So, so where, where are you at in this process? Where are you at? Are you a keeper? Meaning you don't give anything to God through the church? 
depending on what study you read, they'll say that about 75% of church attenders give nothing to God in a calendar year. Nothing. Are you a casual giver? Like if you have some of your crops left over, you'll give a 20 spot, 50 here and there, but only if you have it left over and it's on you when you're in church. Are you a consistent giver? Like you've set an amount, it's not a tithe, but you're giving 100 bucks a paycheck or 100 bucks a month and it's consistent. We got a lot of those. Are you a committed giver? You're giving the tithe. You're honoring God with the best and you're trying to honor him with the, with the other 90%. We got two months left of the year. What if in the next two months, all of us took a new step in our giving? If you're a keeper, could you give something? Could you? I think you could. If, if you're a casual giver, could you just become consistent? Set a dollar amount and just give it every paycheck? If you're a consistent giver, could you move towards the tithe? If you're a committed giver, what's that next step for you to live in radical generosity? I have a friend of mine in the church he says this all the time. He has an amazing story I wish I could share. He says, you can't outgive God. And then he adds this, I've tried. And he is living one of the most generous lives I've ever seen in my life, and God's pouring ab abundance of blessings upon him. Giving is actually a perfect analogy of what God's done for us. You realize that? For God so loved the world, he gave. What did he give? The first and the best. Jesus, the Lamb of God. One pastor said, Jesus is quite literally God's tithe to us. So when I tithe, it's a reminder that God, you first gave me the best. So how could I not? How could I not give you the best back when you ask for it? My money in view of the cross, becomes nothing. Nothing. Let me pray for you, and then remain still. We'll let you go here in a second. God, thanks so much for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us all that we need. Lord, help me to acknowledge it all belongs to you. The best goes back to you, and the blessing comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Living room's available. For those of you who are new, just please stop by there. If you need prayer for something, stop by the purple tent in the back of the auditorium. We'll pray for anything you got going on. And if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to, that Jesus paid the price for your sins, I'd love to do that. A pastor, a volunteer, prayer team member, find one of us. We'll talk to you about that. Love you guys. You're awesome. We'll continue next week. You're dismissed.